Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. So before I introduce my guest, I just want to talk a little bit about what I've been watching this week. As I mentioned last week, I uh, encourage you to watch the Alan versus Pharaoh four-part series on HBO. It's unbelievable, explosive. I'm actually going to have somebody, I couldn't get the filmmakers, unfortunately, but I am going to be recapping it with um, somebody very good. I'm going to tease you um, next week on the podcast. Um I also watched Behind Her Eyes, which is a limited series on Netflix. It's scripted. It's kind of silly, but I really enjoyed it. So, you know, you just need those guilty pleasures to mix in with your highbrow content, right? And lastly, I think more highbrow, um, which leads me to the podcast today, is a film on Netflix, which I encourage everyone to see called I Care A Lot. And it's fictional, but it deals with the very corrupt guardianship system that exists all the way across uh, the U.S. And it's an incredible performance by Rosamund Pike in the lead role and Peter Dinklage. It's very interesting. It's actually kind of an entertaining story, but I think that hopefully it will shine a light on what is going on with this uh, guardianship issue, which of course came to light with the Britney doc. So, so without further ado, that does lead me to the podcast today with filmmaker and social justice warrior Billy Mintz. So Billy's directed and produced many award-winning films, and I was really blown away by the uh, 2018 documentary that he made called The Guardians, which you can now watch on Amazon Prime. It exposes a criminal enterprise running through the family court where the legal kidnapping of elderly people took place in Las Vegas. You honestly have to see it to believe it. It's, it is what you're seeing in the Netflix movie is actually, actually taking place in real life. So because of that film, Billy has become an advocate for victims of guardianship around the country, uh, guardianship fraud, and a hero to the Free Britney movement. Um, they've been trying to draw public attention to guardianship for a couple of years now. And of course, the very well done New York Times Hulu documentary helped shine a light on this issue. And Billy and I get into that film and, and Britney's conservatorship and what can be done to Free Britney. Okay. Well, welcome, Billy. Nice to be here. Nice to meet you in person. Sure, of course. <laughs> We've been corresponding for about six months now. I think it's longer. I think ah, it's longer. That's true. I think everything it, is six months. I know. <laughs> I think everything's a year. I'm like, yeah, about a year ago. About a year ago. It doesn't matter that's when it true. happened. <laughs> it's like everything in LA is 20 minutes away, yeah. even though it's not. Um, yeah. So we were, I always start the podcast by saying how we were, how I met my guest and you and I were introduced. Um, we were introduced by Cameron Cattison, your manager, true. who I'm my a big manager. fan of. Me I, too. I hope you are too. Yeah. I love we Cameron. won't tell him. No, I love every, Cameron. I feel like everybody loves Cameron. He's just yeah. a good guy and he's really fun. Yeah. He's my, uh, rent a friend. He's your rent a friend. <laughs> it's perfect. And like he, the best friend I ever paid for. There you go. I mean, look, that's very Hollywood, right? Yeah. You have to pay for your friends, but he is also very honest, which I like. I love him. Yeah, he's a good guy. So he I would join. Us. I would join the Cameron Cattison religion. Yeah, I think that's still Judaism. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're already in it. Yeah. So you are a Canadian who just became an American citizen. Mazel tov. Thank you. Uh, big big deal. You live some, in an undisclosed location out of America. I would rather not talk about Keeps that. Keeps a low profile, uh, low high profile, I guess, because you yeah. are out there because you do so much work. And then I, like I said, I discovered you through Cameron, but then I started to start to go through a lot of your work, um, starting with the Guardians, which is why you're here today. So 
Um, I saw The Guardians, I guess, over a year ago now and was blown away. And I told everyone I knew about it. And all I kept saying was, I know this sounds like bullshit. I know this sounds like this can't really happen. That's why you have to see this movie. And then I was surprised when Netflix dropped this movie and then you posted about it. So it all kind of had this full circle moment um, with guardianship. And then, of course, with Britney Spears coming out, the, the doc coming out a few weeks ago. So it's the perfect time to kind of bring back the guardians and talk about it. I first love to know your thoughts about the Netflix movie. I care a lot, which just dropped a few days ago. Well, I, it's hard to uh, be objective about such a film because of how long I've been involved in guardianship issues and how hard it's been for advocates in guardianship to present this information to the public um, even with the film The Guardians, it wasn't very well received in the States that no broadcaster picked it up. Uh, we actually, you know, while we were making it and before we made it, pitched it to Netflix. And although they liked it, they didn't want to go with it. So there was a lot of anticipation in watching a movie like this. Uh, were, were they going to get it right? Um, what was it going to be like? This is, it was a real opportunity for advocacy around this issue. Um, so, Watching it, let's say if I didn't have any understanding of guardianship, uh, you know, I was introduced to it by my parents who said they hated it. And I think it was personal to them because of how much they've been involved in, in guardianship issues through me. Um, me, I loved it. I, I thought it was a fantastic film. Uh, at the beginning, in the first 20 minutes, when they were dealing with the guardianship issue before it went down the rabbit hole of crime, they were spot on. I, I was actually uh, miffed at how on the money he was and how much research he did uh, into being in the eyes of my antagonist. Because it's clear that uh, the character that uh, that uh, Pike... Yeah, Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike plays is a uh, character of April Parks. Who, they gave her a glow up, though. Yeah, who was, <laughs> who was, yeah, they made her look much better. Uh, who was in uh, the antagonist I went after in my film. Uh, it was it, even down to like the way in my film I presented the, uh, all the characters involved. They, they literally, my, they literally did that. They replicated my crazy wall. Uh, even the same font under the pictures. Wow. That so, must have been freaky for you. I was trying to figure out who, who am who I? I? Or who can who, I sue? Well, I mean, I think it's more... An homage. Yeah, I think it's more an homage. And and and, and if it helped influence... If my film at all helped influence this film, then, uh, then I am honored because I think this film is doing amazing things for the issue. Um, so in the first 20 minutes, I was... Uh, really just blown away, uh, just blown away and angry that I didn't think of this. Uh, think of a fictionalized way to yeah, do it? Yeah, just uh, doing it through the point of view of The Guardian. Now, I originally my film was called The Guardian's Playbook, and so I really was going to follow uh, The Guardian's. But back to the movie. Enough about me. <laughs> no, uh, no, we're getting back to you. But yeah, I'm curious what else. And then when uh, Dinklage came into the picture... The, the the movie turned into a uh, a, a ridiculous uh, journey, and and I'm not saying that is a bad thing. Um, at, at first, I was upset by it, but Dinklage w w won me over because he's just so brilliant. I mean, his face acting has improved a million percent. Like 
it was it's just fun to watch him and it's uh you know and 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 the way he reacted to his uh are we spoiling things yeah here? i'm gonna put a little spoiler alert and i'll okay. say it now so if you haven't seen the movie go watch it it's it's a quick watch um because we're gonna do spoilers okay when he started to get really upset that what do you mean she's stuck in this place and he would throw things against the wall I thought that was hilarious because that is all of our reactions to guardianship is what do you mean, especially somebody whose parents were taken. And and so I thought that was actually pretty brilliant that you have this crime, Russian crime boss who cannot believe how crazy these people are. Well, and also that he's powerless in the moment over it. Like, how could this guy that couldn't just make everything go away, every problem go away with a gunshot or a money that all of a sudden he's he can't figure it out, you know, that he can't get her out. Like, yeah. that's insane. That's how the little that's people how feel. Everybody feels, <laughs> okay. except the little people aren't Russian crime bosses that can kill their guardians. And so it became sort of like this uh, revenge porn fantasy, which, you know, I enjoyed, I, I must admit. But then at the time when we started rooting for the guardian, uh, because we, you know, we we're supposed to not want her to be murdered. That became confusing to me because, you know, she's a lesbian, loving lesbian with her girlfriend, her absolutely gorgeous girlfriend. And then it's like just the idea of humanizing these sociopaths. I, I think that was a mistake. Yeah, I think it's debatable. I totally get it. I mean, there's a, there were a lot of problematic things. Like I, I, saw, I was texting with my cousin after I said, "Good for." guardianship, you know, like the issue of guardian, bad for lesbians and bad for misogyny, because they also made the one sympathetic character that you actually rooted for the guy that kind of wrapped, you know, but bookended it a total misogynist asshole. When like he, that was an opportunity, I think for it to be a different kind of, you know, it didn't have to be about her being a woman. Right. So uh, a I also had, I put that in my review as well, that I had an issue watching so much violence against women. Yeah. And how about the clueless black judge? Like, really? The one black guy, you're going to make in him dumb? Movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, these judges are dumb. Right. But just don't scenarios. make him black or make yeah. another character. Like, it was just yeah. this strange casting like that. Yeah. But I think, look, going back to the overarching issue, and I do want to kind of get into fact versus fiction. Um, maybe that's a good place to start with the judge. So in the movie, I like that actor, too. He was just in this other Showtime series I saw. But but he was just sort of like a bubbling fool, like, you know, OK, well, yeah, that does sound bad. Let, let, you know, whatever you want. Like he he truly didn't seem to be in on the grift at all. But I feel like your movie, you uncovered that this this whole scam, it, it goes into the court systems, too. Right. They're not so innocent. Well, I mean, when we talk about the court system, there are a lot of people that make up the court system. So, and it's a criminal conspiracy that runs through the court system under the color of law. and Meaning that it's legal. It is legal. What they're doing is legal because these are the people who created the laws around it. As well, it's, um, you know, it goes, against, it goes against the Constitution because there are no separation of powers and there are no checks and balances. These court systems run in their own little bubbles and they are not, uh, nobody's accountable and uh, th there's no oversight. So the uh, debate out there about the judges, because you have a lot of people that make up a corrupt court system, all the lawyers that are in there um, and the guardians, and then you have the judges. And it's questionable 
whether the judges are in on it or not, because nobody has yet to figure out what's the payoff for the judges, except for, you know, their electability. Um, but at the same time, uh, the 50% say the judges are in on it, and the other 50% say the judges are just stupid. And so you have uh, a judicial system that doesn't account for stupid judges. Right. <laughs> and you have a sociopathic group of lawyers that could potentially be taking advantage of the stupid judge. Mm-hmm. And I would think that would be a call to action to any judiciary committee that uh, I think they're a bunch of idiots. Well, if you look at it like a pyramid scheme, a pyramid scheme, which the movie even kind of touched on that a little bit with, you know, like who's at the head? Is it April Parks type? So, so just to give people context, so your film really exposed, this goes on in many other places, but it exposed Clark County, Nevada, which is Vegas, the, the, the nefarious system and actually resulted in people going to prison, which was amazing. Um, with that particular scheme, was April Parks kind of the mob boss and then the lawyers were under her? Were they all in one big circle together? Uh, I think April Parks was low bearing, low bearing fruit. Um, that was something easy. She was the sacrifice. Uh, you had all this attention and heat on the Clark County system, and they needed to get somebody, so they went after the dumbest of the of the lot. Um, April Parks uh, is just uh, you know a sort of a maggot on the shit. Excuse my language. She needed her pink Peter Dinklage, yeah, to uh, to give her to to make her not small potatoes. Right. Yeah. So is it that guy that because in in your case and the, the reality version of it and the documentary version and the real life version. Um, the judges actually didn't end up in charge. It was they appointed that guy who I believe also went to prison who then sort of like he got the cases and he was able to basically act as judge, right? I forget his oh, name. Oh, you're talking about jo- uh, Judge Norheim. Exactly, Norheim. Yeah. So he did not go to prison. In fact, he oh. was after the end of the documentary and the end of the investigation, he was uh, transferred to oh, the my. children's division. <gasps> So uh, he's doing what he was allowing to happen in family court for elderly people. He was then switched to doing this with children. And there's a huge problem in, in Vegas with children in, in the family court. I mean, there's a huge problem in the entire United States of America with children in the court system and the way they pretty much traffic children in the court system. Um, and what do you what do you mean by like what What does that mean? Well... Uh, like guardianship, okay, so so in guardianship, you have a trillion-dollar industry uh, of uh, unbeknownst wealth of elderly people that, um, that this entire guardianship abuse system has systemically revolved around bequestering the funds so that they do not go from the parents to the children. And there's an entire industry around it, and they need elderly people in order to keep the system going. All the lawyers, any lawyer in guardianship and family court needs elderly people in order to get paid. So they are going to go looking for elderly people. And that's what they're doing. And it's the same thing with children. In the child protective service system, they need children in order to keep their wheels going. And they are basically, without due process, the same thing with elderly people, taking children from 
American homes. So now we understand from your movie and from this movie where the profit comes from, but I don't understand where it comes from with kids. They don't have any money. Okay, well, uh, first and foremost, there is a federal incentive that um, gives the state a certain amount of money for every child that is brought into the foster care system. Does that mean like if I adopt a foster kid, I get paid by the state, right? It there is if you uh, if you follow the money, there are not just you, but many different people get paid. It kicks in a lot of funding for the state, and all you got to do is look at your state and how much your state is getting in federal grants uh, for uh, child protective services. Then why are there still so many kids in foster care? You know what I mean? If the incentive, because doesn't the incentive come out of adopting them from foster care? No, no the incentive comes from every new kid that gets brought into oh, the foster into care the, system. So it's actually, it's not as they good to, to get them out of the system. They need to recruit people to become uh, foster parents. There's a recruit, there's a recruiting process going because they need more kids and they need to, they need something to do with the kids. It's so horrible because I think it's obviously super noble to be a foster parent, you know? And so then like to know that if you did that, you'd be a part of this crooked system is so horrible. Well, you know, it's, it's called the uh, child saving business. And a lot of people, um, are, they are ignorant to their child saving overreach and, uh, you know, a lot of people, they have good intentions, but, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> Not many foster parents actually research the history of where how their children got to them. You need to do that. Is that documentary next? Okay, good. <laughs> that was a nod. All right, so going back to the Guardians, um, how did you, because you didn't personally experience this issue in your life, right? How did you get turned on to this, that this is even going on? I feel like I've overtold this story, but I can tell it to it you. It hasn't but, been told on the podcast. Well, there though. you go. That, I, I just, you know, I wanted <laughs> to give to you, us. <laughs> I just wanted to give you transparency. <laughs> right, that the that story's it, been this told is not your times. first time. I know, listen, you've done the, the press and everything. It's a few years old, but we want okay. to hear it. The people want so to know. So it's a great story. Okay, there you go. I had just come off the film that I was making where I spent 40 days looking for Jesus yes. as a Jew. And, uh, and through that process, even though I never actually released the movie, but I'm just starting to look at it again, um, I found a certain relationship uh, with the supernatural. Let's put it that way, to not give away the ending of my 40 Days movie. And so I was looking for my next movie. And uh, one of the things I learned in my 40 Days to try to find Jesus was you know, how to pray and how to ask God for help. So I asked God where's my next film? What am, I'm looking for another movie. And immediately I heard a voice that said, I mean, when I say a voice, I don't mean like an audible one, just like, <laughs> you know, a strong direction that yeah. said, go to Belgrade. Belgrade, Yugoslavia? 
Well, it, it, <laughs> or is it, it used in to Vegas? be Yugos- <laughs> it used to be Yugoslavia. <laughs> okay, but it's uh, as Yugoslavia doesn't exist right, anymore, so it's Serbia U- now. Right, Serbia. But right. To, funny you said that, and look at me being a jerk. <laughs> I didn't even know where Belgrade was. Hey, listen, <laughs> I I was educated at a time before it was. Uh, you yeah, know, but not I Yugoslavia. didn't even know where okay. Belgrade was. You thought so? I had was... to look it up. Okay, and. It was Serbia, and and so I told a couple people, and at that time, people said, don't go, it's not very safe there. So, but, you know, I was in the process of learning to listen to this voice, so I bought a a plane ticket, a one-way plane ticket, and I flew to uh, Belgrade. Upon arriving in Belgrade, I uh, checked in on Facebook, and a buddy of mine that I knew when I was 12 years old, I hadn't really seen since I was 12, said, oh, you got to go meet John Bosnich, who was this New Brunswickian from Canada who lived in uh, Belgrade. So I was like, okay. I just literally just been there for five minutes. I had no idea where I was going. So I, I, I called up John Bosnich and I said, hey, my friend uh, Hiram, who had, they had never met, John Bosnich got Hiram out of jail in Korea. And he had never, they had never met. This is insane already. So I, I show up at John Bosnich's office and he's like, what are you doing here? And I told him the story that I just told you. And then he was like, wow, he had this look on his face. Now, John Bosnich, uh, I mean, that's just too much to get into who he is, but he freed Bobby Fisher from uh, jail and got him extradited to like, I think Iceland or something, oh wherever God. he ended up dying. What's John, he doing living in John Serbia? Bosnich, he calls himself a problem solver. He's a problem solver, a very interesting man. So I told him the whole story about how I came here and I'm looking for my next movie. He goes, wow, that's unbelievable. And he Skypes this guy who lives in the south of France, this old man who lives in the south of France in a in a 17th century home. And uh, he says, hey, I got a director here from Canada who said he's looking for his next story. And they both start laughing. And then John says, open the cupboard. And I opened the cupboard and it's stacked with state-of-the-art uh, film equipment, like three brand new 5Ds, a entire lens kit, like everything that you could possibly want to make a movie. And he said, we've been looking for a director. Wait, so The Guardians was already their movie? He, the, the man that uh, he introduced me to that I went out to go film is... Uh, a unbelievable man with an unbelievable story and his parents were kidnapped by a guardian in New York City and their $15 million estate was bequestered. And so that's what turned me on to the guardianship. And that was before any of the characters in my film even knew what guardianship was. I don't know. That's the craziest story ever. But did you really go to Belgrade with zero plan? Yeah, I went because that because God told me that's where my next story was. Oh my God, I got. And I when gotta, I say God, I, I just want. I just want to say God. I just want to be clear. It's let's just explain the unexplainable. It's right. just like it was a, really you know, your dad, just like on yeah, speakerphone. It was a you know it was giving into the intuition of yeah. like the, uh, uh, something bigger than ourselves and and leading me and and it changed my life because you know I I, I full time face this issue. Well, that's the thing. So, you know, your style and especially in this film is kind of, you know, what I call like vigilante journalism, kind of in the in the footsteps of like a Michael Moore. Um, 
was that your intention? I mean, was that sort of by design? Like once you fell into this world, you realize like, I'm so passionate about writing these wrongs. Like I have to be a part of this because you are, you're, you're kind of front and center as an advocate for these people in the film. Um, I think I've always been interested in social justice. That's always been my, um, you know, my first, well, my second feature was when I became a victim of a Ponzi scheme oh, gosh. before Bernie Madoff. So I, you know, I, I love diving into uh, issues that are uh, dealing with the marginalizing of people, of vulnerable people, and using my voice and my, uh, I guess, my ability to, my perseverance in order to help. And and now it's it's gone way beyond the filmmaking. I do this full time now, right? It's without filmmaking, it's, it's just amazing. something that I do. So was that like once it got screened, people just you became the go to guy, right? Yeah, I get five to ten emails or phone calls a week um, of people that are uh, s- severely desperate, so desperate that they're calling some uneducated filmmaker who has really no pull whatsoever. <laughs> well, that's not true. And also you become sort of an expert to like FBI, right? And law enforcement. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've definitely called the, I, I was invited to uh, the J. Edgar Hoover building with the FBI to screen the film and, and hand over um, our, our evidence, etc. And then I've called them since, but there's not a lot that they can do or there's not a lot that they are doing. So that's what I want to get into a little bit. I, I don't want to, and that's that's just like coming full circle on what you said about not being able to distribute it. Because I think that people get weighed down in the mechanics and they don't really understand. And I, I think I agree with you. I think the movie in the first 20 minutes did like this glossy kind of brilliant version of, 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 of showing exactly how it can happen. Because like I said, when I would tell people about it, I couldn't even articulate how it, it's able to happen, you know, and, and it is. So, so break down, like, actually, although it's criminal in the sense of, you know, you're kidnapping people and you're doing things against their will, essentially, how it's actually with the collusion of the doctors, because we haven't really talked about the doctors, because that's really where it starts, because without a doctor's uh, not analysis, but what is it? Doctor's workup. Doctor's note. Doctor's note. Means. Yeah. The doctor's note. None of this can happen, right? April Parks called it a mini mental. Oh my god. That's what her name was. That's what the name she had for it was to send a doctor to do a mini mental, like a, a, a basically a psych exam, right? To determine whether or not they have dementia. But what the hell is wrong? Like, and I know this is rhetorical, but. I don't know. I think there's so many slimy people. When I I think of doctors, I do. I still have that kind of old school mentality that, you know, most of them are stand up people who took a Hippocratic oath to do the right thing. I got in a fight with a neighbor of mine who (laughs) had uh, his father was a doctor and he took it very personally and uh, never spoke to me again after I told him this. This was during COVID time. So maybe he was a little emotional, more emotional than he probably usually was. But uh, I, I I pulled out some quote like that. Eighty percent of doctors are are uh, narcissists. That part I believe. But but there's a difference between being a narcissist and being a you know a sociopath. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so four uh, percent of the population are sociopaths. Only four percent. Yeah. That so when you have me. a room of a hundred people, four of them are going to want to undermine you and destroy your life. That's a lot of people. When you think of that's only a hundred people, you got four people. So 
um, this is something, you know, when we call people a sociopath, we call like an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend, oh, he was a sociopath. We, we, we lightly throw that term around and that ends up hurting us because we need to know more about sociopathy because next door, the person you might piss off could be a sociopath and destroy your life. And literally they will live off of destroying your life. Right. And that's the distinction too. That's important because there's greedy and then there's sociopathy because greedy is just greedy without the destroying your life part. Right. These people are (laughs) sick. Yeah. And uh, just like pedophiles, we need to protect ourselves from them. So why, so these doctors, um, it starts with their mini mental, as you said, and then these guardians are then equipped with this note, doctor's note, to do, is it called ex parte hearing? Right, yeah. So that basically is like an emergency hearing that they can do without the client, which is what happened in the movie, that says this person's clearly losing it, they can't keep, them, you know, they can't stay in their own home. They can't be in charge of their finances. The judge says, oh, thank you, guardian, for taking care of them. And before you know it, they're threatening the person in the home who is being gaslit, essentially, into, you know, like thinking that they're going to get arrested. Now, can they be arrested? Yeah, of course. It's wow. On the order, uh, the police have to help. I mean, it's, it's this is a court order. Oh, my God. So this is the Do you law. think the police have any idea, like, what's really going on, or they're just showing up to do well, their job? Well, of the four people that were, um, well, the five people that were arrested after the film, after the Guardians got released, uh, one of them was a cop. Wow. So I think, uh, I think there's a lot of negligence involved. Uh, I think that's why, you know, the whole defund the police movement has some validity as far as we need to diversify what we need uh, protection and safety. Uh, and it shouldn't all come from one law enforcement uh, division. Um, we definitely need uh, an ombudsman or some sort of uh, watch in guardianship matters, both with children. Uh, there is no the problem is what it all comes down to is there's no due process, and due process is our right, and that's what they're taking out. So what it is is that these are, this is a a conspiracy and it's a crime that is. Uh, that happens in the courtroom. So if you were to do forensics of the crime, it's all there. All the clues are there in the courtroom. And what they've done is they've thought of the perfect crime and then they reverse engineered the laws to help them do this. It's it, it, it's very calculated because they've been doing this. Uh, I think the first person we knew of under guardianship that got all their money taken was Howard Hughes. And in fact, Jared Schaefer was Howard Hughes' Guardian. And Jared Schaefer is the uh, main antagonist in my documentary. Right. Now, he's, did he go to prison? Nope. No, wow. He's completely untouched. Wow. He's the, pu- he's the public, uh, he was the public defender. Uh, sorry, he was the pu- uh, public guardian of Clark County, Las Vegas. So, so, so here's the question. So if I, if I'm alive, right? So it's just me, you know, my husband's dead. It's just me. I have kids. I've done a living will or I've done a will um, that appoints, you know, my daughter, my guardian. Is that, Can they still do this or no? Okay. Well, when I showed up in, uh, in Clark County, they had a law. So again, so they see, you know, how the crime is constructed is they see, oh, that's going to be an issue. We got to get around that. So they created a law that says if you are not in Nevada— you cannot be guardianship of your parents. Oh, wow. Right? 
So you would just think, it's like if you don't have a 100-foot view of this, you would just think, oh, there's a law. But there's a reason why that law is there. It's to help aid and abet these criminals, these sociopaths that have designed the entire uh, family court system. And for who knows how, I mean, this is Vegas. This is like mafia stuff. Right. Who knows uh, what type of coerce, coercing there has happened, what type of blackmail there has happened, how high up it goes. I mean, there's a reason why uh, this goes up so high. Now, I know I read, like you said, Arizona, Texas, I believe Florida. Is this like, are there different laws from state to state where this could not happen, let's say, in California or somewhere else? Oh, I mean, it definitely happens in California. California is one of the worst yeah. offenders. Well, we'll talk about Brittany in a, in a yeah, minute. Of so, yeah. yeah. But, um, right. And then, you know, the yeah. whole Casey Kasem thing. That's Brittany, a whole. Brittany, yeah. uh, Disney's grandson. Right, 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 right. So, so are there states where this doesn't happen? I think there are states where it happens less. Uh, I don't know particularly which ones they are because I, I, I do know that I, the Supreme Court of Indiana invited me to come speak to uh, their judges about guardianship. I was supposed to be the keynote address. This was right when COVID started. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to expose what's going on in Indiana. And actually, when speaking to a couple of the advocacy groups, they, it seems like Indiana, there's not a lot of nefarious activity there. So that's one state I know of. But I mean, we could just go through the states from like Michigan, New York, Pennsylvania, I mean, it's all it's rampant. It's rampant everywhere. Florida, mostly where you find out a lot of elderly people going for uh, retirement. So as a filmmaker, I mean, you know, from The Guardians and now, of course, Framing Britney, how impactful this is like why I love doing what we do is just, you know, for every kind of well, maybe not for you, but for every sort of like, you know, non-socially just <laughs> just you know, I, I try to do something. I, I balance sure. the ledger where yeah. you can feel like, wow, this actually is going to have an impact. Raise children, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, you got to pay the bills, food on the right? But but table. it's like the win is right when you can do things that actually make a difference. And so, you know, and and we won't get into it, but you and I have been talking about Brittany for a while, and then when this doc dropped, and by the way, even with the New York Times, with Vanity Fair, and these you know huge respected media outlets covering it, it just didn't resonate. It just didn't catch on beyond sort of the fringe group of Free Britney. All of a sudden, the Hulu doc drops, every, you know, A-list celebrities tweeting Free Britney, and it's like they're finally getting it, and and, and people are actually understanding what guardianship is. Mm-hmm. But here's what I want to ask you, and this is, you know, when we started talking about this from day one, the thing that was always so mind-boggling to me is that, you know, 99.9% of these cases are with men and women over the age of 60 or 65. And this was a 28 year old woman who was put under guardianship with a diagnosis of dementia. Had you ever seen anything like that in all of your work in this issue? Uh, Not just had not seen it, but how they could do that to such a unbelievably famous person and, uh, and the world not do anything about that. But I mean, as you saw with the framing documentary, um, it was all really set up very nicely I mean, they really, they really tortured this person to get her in that state where they could then pull this on her. Do you think without her father, it could have, they could have pulled it off? You know, I bet you her father is the one thing that uh, protects her even more from uh, these people. Um, I bet you, not, not to be sympathetic with, with the father, but uh, can you imagine what would be happening to her? even without the father, at least there's that 
I mean, as evil as he is, uh, maybe. I mean, again, I don't, I don't. We don't know the whole story, right? Um, but uh, we don't Allegedly. know what's we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, and we don't know who's involved, and we don't know how high up it goes. But we do know that it's a lot of money, and a lot of people are making a lot of money. One of the things that the doc touches on, but you know, a lot of people were left shrugging their shoulders, understandably, because it makes no sense, is how the court was able to fire Britney's own lawyer. Has that ever happened before? Oh, you mean Adam Adam Streisand. Who she hired. Right, right. He's a great lawyer who does this kind of law. He's not some charlatan. Yeah, I mean, if Adam Streisand would have stayed as her lawyer, we wouldn't be sitting and talking about this. But have you seen that happen? No. How does that happen? But there are also the court cases that I've seen... You, the only reason I've seen them is because you dig them up and find them because nobody would look at these court cases at all. I mean, this is the, what's different about Britney's is that this is a highly, highly visible uh, um, case. Yet we only just, I think, within the last couple of weeks had access to any of the documents because they were closed. Uh, the judge, you know in something that we don't rare we rarely see uh the judge uh, wouldn't let anybody look at the at the transcripts at anything i wonder if this struck you um you know watching i thought the doc was very well done um even though it didn't go as deep into the guardianship issues that we would have liked to see i think um more as a portrait of sort of the media and how that yeah. shaped and kind of get got her to that point um yeah. what was your what was what's your sense of seeing her I mean, what struck me was pre quote unquote meltdown, which is how it was depicted. You know, she was. I don't she, think it was a meltdown. Right. So I'm, I'm using yeah, that in quotes because it, it wasn't. Think, and I remember watching the meltdown as it was happening and it's very, it was very convincing at the time, but now watching it with, uh, you know, with uh, hindsight of 2021 and we, we are way more evolved. We're way more considerate. We're, we know more about mental health issues. We know more about, uh, celebrityhood and postpartum and and uh, yeah, it was a confluence. That of guy, like ten, the thing that upset me the most the was paparazzi. that paparazzi. Guy. Unbelievable! I, I, you know, he, he should be strung up and. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I know where cancel culture comes from because we're also angry. We're also angry, and the minute somebody shows a little bit of blood, just like <laughs> uh, you know, I, I used to be a, uh, I used to uh, work in a chicken farm with like. Uh, I think we had tens of thousands of chickens and my job in the morning was uh, to go pick up all the dead chickens and chickens are the fiercest animals in the world. And if one chicken shows a little blood, all the other chickens mm. will uh, be contaminated. Will, no, all the other chickens will peck and fuck it to death. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Okay. And I get the metaphor. That's what cancel culture is. I get it. It's like the I minute, like I'm, I'm afraid to talk to you right now <laughs> because if I say the wrong thing. Well, just, let's just preemptively cancel you so we don't have to no, worry I, about just that. Be, let's yeah. just pre- preemptively say, I have no idea what I'm talking about right. most of the time. Listen, so, I put myself out there. I mean, I, you know, and I can edit myself and I still don't, uh, don't know what I'm saying. So, so back to my question here, yeah. here's the thing. So, I guess what really made me sad and confused was watching her before that and seeing she was bright, she was articulate, she was lucid. You know, she she seemed to have a really good grip. Her dancers who talked from the time who worked with her, she was boss woman. She was in Amazing. control. 
And now you see her on Instagram 10 years later and it really looks like a completely different person. I don't know. I, uh, I think this is a person who's, who's been traumatized a lot. Uh, but I still, you know, when I see the stuff on Instagram, um, I still just, she's just a normal person and she's just, she's quirky and, but it's, uh, it's something's off. It makes me think she's being, well, it makes me also think that she's being drugged. Like that she's been, you know, they've convinced that she's bipolar and she's this. But maybe, but she can't, it can't be, uh, you know, this or that. Maybe she is bipolar. Right. Maybe she, she, maybe she does have mental illness issues. But that doesn't mean you need to be in guardianship. Well, exactly. So this is what people, that made my head explode, Billy. There were a few people I saw on social media, people that I know, not random people, saying like, cut it, cut the crap with the free Britney stuff. This woman's obviously under guardianship for a reason. You know, she's got mental health issues. I'm thinking, well, okay, Kanye's not in a guardianship. There's tons of people. Donald Trump was freaking president of the United States. He He's not under guardianship. Like, are we going to, you know, put every so mentally ill person under a guardianship? Like, that was insane to me. Yeah. And depressing. Yeah. But I also think misogynistic. I think that factors into it, too. Yeah, for sure. Look, the hope is that in terms of change, that something like the Free Britney movement is is the catalyst that's, or the, the match that's going to light the spark that's going to start the fire, right? Well, that's the difference is that right now you have a a group of very passionate people who have been inspired to uh, organize and come together in order to expose this and help their, uh, you know, help their, their uh, Britney yeah. and help them out of it. And the one thing is that why the bad guys always get away with this type of stuff is the bad guys are organized and the good guys cannot get organized. And that's what Free Britney is. They are a inspiration for all of us who are advocating on how to organize ourselves because that's been the biggest uh the biggest uh hard thing for um for advocacy is that uh, people on the good side don't they don't they, they're always inner fighting they're always such a good yeah. point i mean yeah i don't want to go down that rabbit hole with politics but that's 100% true and they've done it on an international level i was on a zoom with I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, there was Paris and, you know, multiple places around the globe represented. I was like, they have built an internet, you know, which is cool with social media. You can do that now. And I think the confluence of COVID also with everybody on lockdown, people were on social media more, people, their eyeballs were on it more. So in a way the timing was good, but I just hope that, again, I think it's confusing to people that, um, She's really in two different types of conservatorship. So the hope, obviously, is that this is a free woman. It's not enough for her to just, you know, have co-control of her finances. She needs to make decisions on her own. Her, the, I think that's more important of her person. Yeah, of for her, sure. You know, free will. She has no free will. Yeah. I think if if everybody in guardianship and caught up in guardianship had a free Britney movement, uh, we wouldn't be in this place anymore. And hopefully when Britney does get free, uh, that uh, that she becomes a voice for all of the other people who don't have her name uh, that are caught up in this. And then, you know, and I think the Free Britney movement is, uh, is the beginning of a change in, uh, in, in guardianship abuse. 
Do you think now with the heightened visibility of the movement and sort of this movie and people talking about everything again, are you more hopeful that laws can change that people will, you know, maybe not get in on these scams for fear of getting caught and going to prison? Like, do you think things will actually change? Uh, the reason why these crimes work is because they're done in silence. It's uh, part of their scheme is to isolate people uh, from everybody else, um, to medicate them. And the only thing that is going to stop this is exposure. And the more we expose, the less it will be able to be done. The problem is, is that when you are the victim of a conspiracy, and this very much is a conspiracy, not to be confused with the tag word conspiracy theory, because this is not a theory, this is not about aliens, this is a conspiracy that uh, means when you have two or more people that come together in order to uh, commit a crime against somebody. And so that's what this crime is. And when you are the victim of a conspiracy, it's hard to get people to help you, especially if it's so unbelievable. And that is why they've been getting away with it. Because elder, it, this, it, when you said this is a crime against women, most guardianship victims are women. I didn't know that. Yeah. This is a crime against women and, the vul and vulnerable people. Um, but women first. And so, uh, because a lot of times, you know, the men die, the husbands die and the women are left alone and that's when they're come after. And so having been a victim of a uh, conspiracy myself, uh, and that's what draws me to this topic is because I know what it's like to be the victim of a conspiracy. I know what it's like to be in the middle of something where five people are lying around you and convincing other people. And it is the most isolating experience ever. And it was very hard for me to find people to help me. And so that's why I have, you know, uh, been there for other people because I never want uh, somebody to go through what I went through. I, I love that. Um, so wrapping up, obviously, no matter what happens to you tomorrow, this film and your work is a huge part of your legacy. What do you mean what happens tomorrow? I mean, you know, we just you don't, tomorrow's not guaranteed. Right, okay. So you know what I'm saying. I'm just saying like, to me, you, I think a lot of people, I mean, just to explain myself, I think a lot of people are like, you know, I hope in 10 years I do X and I hope my legacy is this. I think you've kind of well established that, you know, you've already kind of done it. Is there anything though that you, that still feels like I want to do X, you know, you've already done so much. I, I think it's really how I see it is I lead, I lead a very blessed life. I've been very blessed in my life. And, um, and part of that in return is to, uh, is to use those blessings to help others. And whatever it is, you know, I always say, people say, how do you find these stories? And I say, I don't find stories, stories find me. Yeah. And I'm just here to do my job which is to be present and to, uh, to do what I'm told. Um, and so, and that's on, on a spiritual level. As I say, by that guy, whoever yeah, that was on guy, speakerphone girl, telling whatever, you who to yeah. go to Belgrade, <laughs> yeah. right? The they. 
Yeah. Um, I, I like that. I think that's a very, I like the, I don't find stories, stories find me. Um, <laughs> I feel like I, that happens to me too, but yeah, it's, it's I'm always like, go away. I, I don't want that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's really, really, yeah. It's like you get these stories and you have to really choose which one you're going to do or right. choose them all. Well, yeah. Cause so much of the time, the best stories are the craziest ones. And then yeah. you're on a trip to crazy town and you're yeah. like, what? But where? That, I, I like you love crazy town. To crazy town. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> you thrive in crazy yeah, town. I like crazy town. What's interesting about your involvement in Free Britney is that that found you, right? Because she, you know, you had done the sort of declarative documentary on guardianship and all of a sudden the Free Britney movement was like, how do we explain that what's going on with Britney to people? Go, yeah. And that was on their, on their sort of like research manual. Like, yeah. Go watch the guardians on Amazon prime. So I'm going to tell everybody, go watch the guardians on Amazon prime. Yeah. It just hit me recently. Like how supportive, uh, you know, because you're just so caught up in the fight all the time uh, it's you don't take a, a moment to look around you and and the free Britney movement has been extremely supportive of the film the guardians and and who would have known who would have known that a movie that I would making for four years in the trenches of exposing guardianship and freeing elderly people which most of the world you know didn't care about until covid and uh and to be picked up by uh, a movement that is trying to free Britney Spears. Uh, it was wild. When I first started seeing the posts, um, you know, about a year ago, uh, I, I, I knew nothing about Britney being in conservatorship. And uh, what, what a wild thing to have, like, memes out there on the internet that have uh, me and Britney on the same page. I was just like, who would have thought? You're an international pop star now. So before I let you go, where can people find you? Uh, well, I have a website, my name, billymintz.com, B-I-L-L-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z.com. And The Guardians is on Amazon Prime. Uh, but if you live in another country besides the U.S. and don't have access to Amazon Prime, just find me online and I will make sure you get to watch the film. I'm glad you mentioned that because I weirdly have people in all different countries when you break down the stats i think i've got some serbians too so <laughs> shout out to serbia many times on right. this well we i just shot my last film in serbia so. did you yeah funny enough full circle moment wow yeah i was just in serbia right when covid locked down i got stuck in serbia the first day of martial law when covid started and i was able to get home that day well this has been so great what a treat i hope that we officially get to work together soon that's the goal and in the meantime just you know keep doing what you're doing Thank you so much. Thanks for being here.